Good morning. I was hoping she might walk in right about now. This young lady who just walked in the door has a dad who is separated from her today because he is in the Navy at the U.S. Naval Station Pascagoula in Mississippi. And she talked to her, talked to him this morning. And you miss your dad, don't you? Yeah, that's okay. I, I'm glad she's not crying. That's good. Um, uh, as someone who is separated from his son by about 1,200 miles and daughter by about 5,000 miles, please remind her that her daddy misses her as much as she misses him. Um, and when you see her, if you hear her, if you see her tuck her head into her mom's shoulder, just, just a little prayer for her. Her dad is serving this country, and, um, but she doesn't care. She misses her daddy, so be praying for her. Um, I want to say if my dad happens to be watching now or later in the week, um, happy Father's Day, Daddy. Uh, it's a weird name, I know, because um, you're all northerners, and so you say dad or daddy or dad, dad. Um, in the south, you use the back of your mouth, and you just don't move your mouth much. You say daddy. My kids call him D-Daddy, which my son-in-law can't say because he's from Wisconsin, and so he can't say daddy. I don't know why he can't come up with the words, but um, it, the Father's Day thing is a little different for me this year because we, we have a grandchild on the way on November 19, and that's weird. It just, I mean, Chris has been through it and is going through it, but this one we have to travel about 26 hours in the air to go see because they're living in New Zealand. Uh, so it's just a di little different thing. And I think that the passage that we have today, I think speaks to mothers and women and fathers and men uh, and to our current circumstances. So we're going to be in Judges chapter four, and it's a strange chapter. There are some words and some very I won't say gratuitous, but very clearly graphic descriptions in here that because there's children in the room, I'm going to read over and use words like she dispatched him with extreme prejudice instead of speaking of the very act that, this, that Jael did with Sisera. Let's just say she nailed it. If you want to know what I mean by that, for, uh, Judges chapter 4, verse 21, 22-ish. So uh, I'm going to offer a prayer. We're going to get started, but I want you to know um, that I'm going to give you the advice that a friend of mine, Frank Bearfield, gave me years ago, because it's hard to look at some of these Old Testament narratives, these Old Testament, I say narrative because we say story and it sounds like it's not true. It is true and God wants us to know these things. And Pastor Doug preached last week on Ehud, which, uh, which he called Ehud, which is correct, but Ehud just sounds more Southern. Um, Ehud, the left-handed man. Uh, there are things that are in scripture that we, that, that kind of mess with our sensibilities. So my friend Frank Bearfield put it this way. He goes, it, it is risky to take modern Western civilization sensibilities and put them on ancient Eastern Semitic culture. So we like to say, we go, well, we're more enlightened and we're smarter and we, we have a better understanding of morality than they did. Maybe true, but I know that God meets people in the context within which they live. And so these people were being oppressed by a Canaanite king and that Canaanite king and all of his minions needed to be, the Israelites needed to be rid of them. 
This is the story, one of the stories, of how God dispatched with extreme prejudice a pagan demon-worshiping king who was oppressed, and his general who was oppressing God's people. So let me offer a prayer, and then we'll get into Judges chapter 4. Lord, thank you that you decided to record these, these tales, these events of not just the judges and how you were faithful, but how often your people were unfaithful, how many times they drifted away, how many times they turned to other gods and other things, how many times they did what was right in their own eyes and not in your eyes. Remind us, Lord, that just like the Israelites did it again, we do it again and again and again, both individually, culturally, in the church, and as Western civilization and the civilization around the world. So speak to us today. Your words for us, not my words for them. Give us eyes to see what you want us to see and ears to hear what you want us to hear and hearts, most importantly, Lord, hearts to receive what you want us to receive. We pray these things in Jesus' name through the power of your spirit for the glory of God our Father. Amen. We're in uh, Deborah chapter four and it starts off saying after Ehud died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. But there's this one verse between Ehud and uh, Deborah, and it's this, and I don't know why this guy doesn't get any credit, because it's just one verse in scripture, but at least he made it in there. Uh, after Ehud came Shamgar, maybe that's why, because that's his name, uh, son of Anath, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. He too saved Israel. There's another judge in the midst of this that gets one verse. What God is trying to communicate to us is as as, as terrible as his people are at being faithful to God, God is all the more faithful in his willingness to rescue his people once and if they cry out. And it reads like this. After Ehud died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan. Oh, by the way, there are a lot of really hard words and names in here, and I'm gonna stumble and hiccup just bear with me. I have read it over and over and over again in practice, and I'm hoping that if I tell you that I'm going to stumble, that I won't. So uh, Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor, the commander of the army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Agaim, uh, because he had 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Now, I want you to know a couple things about um, Sisera. Number one, we think of uh, chariots. I often hear pastors say chariots were like ancient modern day tanks. Okay, but tanks blow things up. They go through buildings and they go over fords. They go through rivers. They can do all kinds of things. They are armored and they have a cannon attached to them. They shoot very large rounds and they blow things up. Horses, chariots couldn't do that. But, but it was... It was a big advantage because especially if you're coming against the Israelites and they've got some plow, some, some plows that they kind of banged into swords and they have some pitchforks and some of them, there is an army, but it's not like Jabin's army. 
So the people of God, the Israelites, were not a warring tribe. They were not a warring nation. God delivered them time and time again. One time, because the leader was holding up his staff, and, and every time his arms would get tired and fall, the people would start to lose. And then he, he had others that lifted his arms up for him, and then, and then they were victorious. But they were always victorious because God got ahead of them, and he routed their enemies, not because the Israelites were so good at war and battle. So this guy, Sisera, had 900 chariots. Now these chariots were, they, what they did is it was, a great, it was a great advantage because they got you up off the ground and you had a shield around you. They were armored. And then you had a horse which could run over people. And so you're up high and you can kind of chase people down, run people over, or kids in the room, vanquish them from the chariot. So it was a great advantage. And 900, you know how many chariots, iron chariots that Israel had? Zero. So just so you know. Now Sisera, the general of Jabin, Jabin the Canaanite demon-worshiping king, okay? He had a general, and this is not scriptural, but it is part of the oral tradition when the Israelites, when the Jewish people tell this story, this is what they remember from their oral history. That, that Sisera had given into his lust of the flesh and of power. And because he worshiped, or he, he, he was the general for a demon-worshiping king, uh, there was not a high sense of morality and how to treat those who you have conquered. And so Cicero was known as someone who often mistreated in the worst possible way. Again, there's children in the room, so you can, you can extrapolate. Um, women and their daughters. And how he would do that is when men would stand up and say, no, you don't do that to my wife. You don't do that to my daughter. And none of your men do either. They would just be slaughtered. So this was a general who had this horrible reputation and it was completely justified. So he had great power, great strength. He had permission from a pagan king to do whatever he wanted to, with, and around the people of God. 20 years, they endured abuse that you would never allow to happen to one of your daughters or your wives, men. 20 years before they cried out to God. Now, I don't know how long it was that they lived faithfully after Ehud or after Shamgar. I have no idea. But it does seem to be between 18 and 20 years of people getting the tar kicked out of them and having their, their, their people mistreated terribly before they finally go, oh, Maybe it's because we've lost the blessing of God. And they cry out, and they did. Deborah, which means honeybee, by the way. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lipidoth, was leading Israel at that time. Now, I don't want that to go unnoticed. Deborah, one who hears from God and speaks the will of God to his people, a prophetess, was leading Israel at that time. Imagine how unusual it was for a woman to have God's ordination and have God's word spoken to her and she in ancient Semitic cultures and she led Israel. And it's not just that she led by settling petty little disputes. It's not like, um, go, well, let's go talk to grandma. It's not that kind of thing. 
She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And Israel, the Israelites came to her to have her, to have their disputes decided. Now that's not all that she did, but that is part of what she did. She sent for Barak, by the way, that name means lightning or thunderbolt. So it's like a superhero, right? Your name, especially in ancient literature, means what your character either is or is supposed to be. So she sent for Barak, the son of Abinoam, uh, from Kedesh in Naphtali and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you. Now, if you knew that you had a prophet, if you knew that someone, if Elijah himself showed up, Elijah who hears God speak and tells, that's what prophecy is in the ancient, in the, in the Old Testament. It's what is God's will for these people at this time? Now, God uses some of those prophecies later on as well, but it's always meant for something now. It's repent or calamity is going to come, or it's do this so that I can save you. That's how God works. He always works through his people. And when he gives, when he, when he speaks to a prophet, the authority of God is on that prophet. Not unlike our understanding of what it means to be a preacher, that there's a mantle of, it's not just that I'm telling you what God said. I'm trying to tell you what God is saying. So if you knew of, let's say Elijah, in this case, it was Deborah. If Elijah stood up here today and said, the Lord, the God of Israel, the father of Jesus Christ, the son, who is the son of God, who redeemed you and bought you back, he commands you to, are you going to listen up? I would hope so. But not lightning bolt. The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go, take with you 10,000 men from Nathali and Zebulun and, and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, that's the evil general, the commander of Jabin's army and his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Seems pretty clear. God wants you to gather all the men of these two clans and go over there and then I'm gonna use my wiles and, and lure him to you and God is gonna hand Sisera over to you. That's, a, that's an underdog moment, right? I have come to save the day. He's got the lightning bolt. He's got the whole thing. But nope. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. What kind of a warrior is this? What kind of a general is this? How far has it gone in this culture? How many times has he been beat back by Sisera? How, how fearful is he of not only of Jabin and his general, but of the, the, the possibility that God's command isn't real, that it's not true, that it doesn't stand firm, that God, he has this idea here, apparently, that God says go, but he wants me to go. I'm not going. If I go down, you go down. Does that sound familiar? It should vaguely, because that's what Adam did with Eve when the serpent showed up. I mean, God put Adam on the earth. God, every day, five days, he created, let there be light. And he said it was Tob, 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 which means good. Tob, Tob, five days, six day, makes Adam, man of the dirt. And he says, whatever you call the animals, they will be called. Whatever you name the plants, they will be named. And you are to steward my creation on my behalf. And then God says, it's not good. It's the only time he said it in all creation. It's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. 
So he laid him down, he took something from him and he made, whoa, man. Because they were naked and unashamed. And Adam actually cried out and he said, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She was one that completed him. And God said, Tob Mayod, it was good, very. Now God is represented, his image is represented in man and woman together in the garden in a walking, talking, knowing, loving relationship with God. That is how God wanted it to be. It's the only time that God said, very good with all of creation. And then days, months, I don't know how much longer, but then the serpent shows up and he comes to Eve and he says, hey, this chocolate apple, it's gonna be good. No, no, God says don't. God says don't. Yeah, but does he really? Where's, where's Adam? We'll see how this goes. I don't want her mad at me, so I'm not stepping in. So he, he accepted passivity. He didn't accept responsibility. He didn't lead. He didn't step in and go, whoa, 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 hold on. God says we can eat of the tree of life, but we do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You out. He doesn't do it. He doesn't lead courageously, expecting that God will reward him in the long run. He looks right there and he goes, I don't want to upset her. I don't, I'm a little timid, intimidated by this serpent with legs. Um, I, no, uh-uh. He does nothing. He says, what you do, then I will do. He doesn't say those words, but that's how he behaves. This is sin in the moment. Lightning bolt says, huh. I'm a little scared, so if, uh, if, if, you, if I go down, you go down. He goes, she goes, okay, very well. I will go with you. But because of the way you're going about this, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will hand Sisera, this evil general, to a, he, will hand her over to a, he will hand him over to a woman. So we start thinking, if we're hearing this for the first time, that Deborah gets to get him. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, where, the, uh, where he summoned Zebulun and Nathali, 10,000 men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. Now, here's this weird little random interlude in the middle of this story. Seems to make no sense at all. Now, Heber, Heber uh, the Kenite, had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zaananim, near Kadesh. It seems random, but it's not. When they told Sisera that Barak, now again, that's the evil general. So Barak and Deborah and those 10,000 men have met up and they're down near this river. They're on the cup up on the mountain looking down at this river valley where God told them to go. Uh, when they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, uh, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera gathered together his 900 iron chariots and all the men with him from Harashith Hagahim to the Kishon River. Deborah said to Barak, go. This is the day that the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. And we think maybe God's kind of changing his mind on this, but that's not what's going on. It's going to give his armies. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? How would he know that the Lord has gone ahead of him? Again, not a scriptural account, but the history of God's people. They tell this story. And what, what we find out is this river, this Kishon River in, in this area, it's, it, it's during dry season because that's when you go to war. And months go by without any rain in this area. So this river that, is, that can be at flood stage and raging is just a trickle. And the ground gets like concrete. 
So why would Sisera bring 900 iron chariots to a place that he might get stuck in the mud? Because it's dry season. And so how would he know that God has gone ahead of him and it's time to go take Sisera? Because remember two weeks ago, this coming Wednesday, remember that storm, that squall that came through with 60 mile an hour winds that pushed water under your um, sliding glass door into your kitchen or under or over your basement uh, access door into your storage room or through the fresh air vent in your heat room. Not that this happened to us. Parallel rain that swelled. We had, a, we, had a, we had a lawn pimple. It swelled our lawn up in one spot about two feet and I was walking, our boat blew away so I brought it back and I went up on this hill that doesn't exist. I had to poke it with things to get the water to come out. That's the kind of rain that the Israelites say happened. And what happens to dried out, crusty ground when a torrent of rain and wind come? First of all, it all moves to the river and then the river rages and then it pushes out over the bank and then mud. It doesn't rain in this time of year. But the Israelites claim that that's what happened, that it's this localized circumstantial miracle that God provided. And that's how Barak, the underdog, the superhero, how he knows that the Lord has gone ahead of him. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor followed by 10,000 men at Barak's advance. The Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots, they got stuck up in the mud. Um, And then the army by, by the sword and Sisera abandoned his chariot and fled on foot. You don't abandon your chariot unless it won't move. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Herosheth Hagayim. I don't know why I can't say that word. All the troops of Sisera fell by the sword. And not a man was left. Now a concentration on Sisera. And this is not on the screen. It's not in your books. I decided to go a little further. Sisera, however, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, because there were friendly relations between King Jabin, the demon-worshipping Canaanite king, and Hazor, and the clan of Heber, the Kenite. Jael, the wife of the one who that random little interlude earlier, they pitched their tent in this area. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, come on, come in, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she put a covering over him and he said, I'm thirsty. Please give me some water. And she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink, covered him up. And then he ordered her, he, she's giving him sanctuary and he ordered her, you stand at the doorway of the tent And if anyone comes by and asks you, is anyone here? You say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, the guy had fallen asleep and she dispatched him with extreme prejudice. Again, she nailed it. You can look that up later. Later, Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera and Jael went out to meet him. Come, I will show you the man you're looking for. And she went in with her, uh, and he went in with her, and there was Sisera lying dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, the Canaanite king, before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites grew stronger and stronger against Jabin and the Canaanites, and the Canaanite, or the Canaanite king, and they destroyed him. So this is the beginning of God restoring Israel to who they're supposed to be. Now, a couple of things that are just flat out interesting and kind of cute in this. Number one, 
Barack, lightning bolt, happens to be a thunderstorm that comes in and that routes him out. That's kind of cool. But he was a man who had given in to fear, and he's a man that lacked faith. He didn't trust either God through Deborah or didn't trust that Deborah could hear God. But here is Deborah, the honeybee, and Jael, the one who actually dispatched Sisera. You know what Jael means? Mountain goat. Now, I don't want you men to go home and say, oh, my little goat, talking about your wife. That's not, not a good word in our culture. But then they didn't have cattle like we have cattle. We think of milk coming from cattle. They got their milk from goats. So it's a great thing. In fact, if you think about with Joshua, when, when Joshua uh, sent spies to check out the promised land, when they're finally coming out of the desert, out of the wandering around that land between, um, and, and the spies came back and they said, it is a land flowing with milk and honey, right? So the land, the promised land, the land of milk and honey was saved and restored by a honeybee, a producer of honey, and a mountain goat, a producer of milk. That's just kind of cool. And those people that read this and that know this, they see all that coming. But what didn't, what wasn't, what, who didn't restore is the expected hero, the person that's supposed to be the warrior, the person that's supposed to be the faithful one, the person that is supposed to say, it doesn't matter what happens to me. I'm going to be faithful to God no matter what. Barak. So you have one man, Sisera, who gave in to the passions and lusts of power and flesh. And you have another man who gave in to this persuasive, seductive power of fear. And you have two women who said, yes, Lord. And God saved his people and restored his people and restored actual worship of the God of the universe because two, in this case, women said, yes, Lord. I'm gonna go back to a sermon that you've heard and that some people that I haven't seen in seven years, they heard probably 15 years ago. Joshua chapter four. They just came into the promised land. There's this huge fortified city named Jericho. And they're in Jericho, or they're at Jericho, and God says to them, I'm gonna give you the city, and here's what you do. Every day at this time, I want you to take all the men of fighting age and the Ark of the Covenant, and I want you to walk around the city and then come back to camp. And then the next day, I want you to do exactly the same thing. So as a military strategist, which I am not, this seems like the dumbest thing you can do. Number one, show them exactly what you have, exactly how many you have, and be predictable. Come at the same time every day. Walk around the city. And God says, that's what I want you to do. So they do it. And then he says, on the seventh day, I want you to walk around the city seven times, which is all the more just a wonderful military strategy because now you're exhausted. And then you're going to use this unbelievably uh, technologically advanced weapon. You're going to scream and the walls are going to come down. But they did it. And the walls came down. So God used the unexpected people, not a warring tribe, an unexpected people to do an impossible thing in a seemingly ridiculous way. He did it with Deborah. He did it with Jael. 
She dispatched the greatest general of the time with a household utility. But who didn't? People consumed with passion and lust of flesh and power and people seduced by fear and unwilling to trust God. What does that have to do with today? Well, men, don't be like Adam. Don't be passive. Reject passivity. Accept responsibility for yourself and those around you. Lead courageously and expect God's greater reward later, not now. Don't be like David, who it was spring when kings go off to war, but he stayed back and he saw a woman sitting on, a, on the top of a house. And so David was in a place he shouldn't be. He saw what he shouldn't see. He did what he shouldn't do. And he became who he shouldn't be. Don't be Barak, lightning bolt, looks good, strong, cool cape, big horse. I'm not going if you don't go. There's something other, other here too that, that we kind of just look over that, that Deborah was married. Lipidoth was her husband. It's interesting we never hear anything other than she's associated with him and he's associated with her. It seems to me that they had the kind of relationship that God wants us to have with our spouses that recognize that God has a calling on Lynn's life and he has a calling on mine, and her calling might not be exactly as mine, and her, mine might not be exactly as hers. But oh, should I, should I bless God's work in her life, and should she bless mine? It seems to me that they're doing that right there, and that God is no respecter of persons. There's no male or female, Jew or Gentile. He just wants the faithful to do what he calls them to do. So will we be a people? Will you be a person who doesn't our culture wants us to give in to the lusts of the flesh and of power and of fame and whatever else. And it wants us to be very afraid. Christians speak not. Or will we say, yes, my Lord. He, we know what his will is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as you love yourself, even if your neighbor doesn't want to be loved. Do not return evil with evil, but evil with kindness. Don't curse when cursed. Be, bless. Take on their pack and go another mile. If someone needs your shirt, give them your tunic too. Pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies, those who want harm to come to you, and, and they do exist, love them. This is the unexpected people doing impossible things in ridiculous ways. What hope is there for Western civilization, for this world as a whole? Christ and Christ alone. The only thing that can transform hearts from the inside out and make everything different. It's not going to be your politicians. It's not going to be your different types of warriors out there. And it's not going to be a bunch of angry people upset with everybody else because there's lots of blame to go around. It's going to be Christ and him changing hearts and making all things new. And he asks his people to go and to lead and to care and to minister and to pray. Imagine what would change in this world if God's people were unshakable, unafraid, but gentle, loving, and 
peace mongers. See, again and 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 again, God's people drifted and they became unfaithful. And then they started worshiping things that were just God awful. But again and 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 again, when they cried out to God, he goes, okay, I got you. Are we at the point yet where we will cry out to God? And he says, okay, here's what I require you to do. Will we do it? Will we be Deborah? Will we be Barak? Or are we going to go all the way in and be Sisera? I hope that we're Deborah and Jael. Not that you're going to murder some general, but you can kill them with the grace of Jesus Christ. Kill them with kindness. Stop yelling at the TV when the, the opponents don't think the way you do. Ask God to bless them. Change whose you are, and that will change who you are. And it will be contagious. I don't know how long it'll take, but God's not done with us. And he chooses you and me to be his agents, his ambassadors, his color bearers, and his warriors. But all we have to fight with is this, and it's more than enough. Again, let's pray. Lord, as we sing praises to you, we may have some confession in there too. So I pray that you hear it all and that our confessions and our worship rises up to you like sweet, sweet scents to your nose and that you hear the cries of your people because we're saying, Lord, save us. Save our culture. Redeem it. Save our civilization. Save our world. Establish yourself as king so that every knee bows and every tongue confesses and the lion lies with the lamb and all tears are gone. We pray this in